It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Welcome back, everybody. It is time to talk Raiders football, Las Vegas Raiders football. Of course, this is Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. We appreciate you guys being with us. If you don't already subscribe to the show, please do us a favor. Make sure you subscribe. Turn on the auto download. That way, every time we put up a new show, you will be notified. It will be there on your phone, your iPad, your computer, wherever you listen to us, your watch, your Amazon Alexa. It doesn't matter. You'll be able to hear the show. We appreciate you doing that. Mo Moten is my co-host. He is the national NFL writer at Bleacher Report. He is also a Raiders columnist up at sportsnot.com. You can follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-U-N. That's Mo Moten. I am at L V Gully. We love to talk to you guys. Well, at least most of you. Nah, most of you. Most of our <laughs> listeners are good, good people. Uh, and the trolls are the trolls, and we have fun with them too. But we are back. We are talking Raiders football. And Mo, we, 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 the last show, we talked a lot about the end of the season. And I was surprised because I, I saw some comments in social media um, outside of the praise of people, again, like, you guys, I can't believe, why are you so hard? Why do you hate McDaniel so much? And, I'm, and I thought to myself, well, don't hate McDaniel. <laughs> We're not in the hate business here on Silver and Black today, especially when it comes to coach. But, but Mo, you went in on, and we went in on the job that Josh McDaniels did, and and there's no denying it, right? There's no denying it. When you finish 6-11, and 11, and we saw what happened with with the record, NFL record five double-digit second-half leads blown, that's not us. That's the data. I, I don't get why criticism, especially fair criticism, has to be misconstrued as hate. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I remember the 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 clip that you that you uh, the tweet that you clipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what did I say that was wrong? The blown leads is on him. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the inconsistency of Devonte Adams getting the ball five or fewer catches in about eight games is on him. As I said. You can manufacture touches for anyone on your football team. It should be Devontae Adams. I wasn't wrong about Josh Jacobs getting going after a month a month into the season. To me, that's on Josh McDaniels as well. I know he's going to say, well, we were behind, so we can't run the ball. I, I believe that's baloney because, again, unless you're down by 14 points to start the game, you can establish the run early. So, I mean, to me, it's all fair criticism. And I think most Raider fans would agree that Josh McDaniels does belong under the microscope based on his past career with Denver. I know that's more than a decade ago, but just based on looking at what happened this year, what has he done to show you that he's he's going to be a top head coach in the NFL? Well, and that's the thing too, Mo, and I know we're going to do some some more post-game analysis as we move ahead in the next few weeks, but I will tell you, it is a performance-based business, okay? And yeah. so uh, he's paid a lot of money. He came in, there's a lot of expectations, and so you evaluate against that. 
Yes. Are we critics? Uh, yeah, sort of, but we're just evaluating it based on, I mean, you look at, you look at Brian Dable in New York, you look at some of the other first year head coaches, uh, McDaniels, uh, McDaniel in Miami goes to the playoffs. I know you can talk about divisions. You can talk about all that junk, but the reality is those guys are in the playoffs. They're all first year coaches. Okay. So, so you have to evaluate him against his peers, which is what we do. So just a really interesting discussion. And of course the discussion that doesn't go away, at least until February 15th, uh, is the discussion and maybe longer is the discussion around Derek Carr. And we bring it up today because, uh, we're hearing a lot of chatter, around Derek Carr and the New York Jets. We've talked about the Jets as a possible destination, and uh, it seems to be one that uh, is not only appealing to to the Jets, but overall we're seeing the national media jump on this. Now, I don't know, Mo, you're based in New York, so you can tell me if it's a little bit of the New York media swirl, but uh, you're starting to look at this. The Raiders have to make a decision on Derek Carr. They have to make a decision on where he goes uh, what they do with him. Is there a market for him? We know there's a market for him, but are they willing to give up draft picks? So we look at Derek Carr's possible destinations. You talked about it on your Ble- Bleacher Report live show that you had on just a couple days ago. You talked about it in recent writing. Um, could I, I always suspected the Jets. You kind of talked me a little bit down from that saying, well, I'm not so sure. When you look at this situation, is is this possibly the best and maybe only chance the Raiders have of getting draft capital for Derek Carr? I don't think so. I, I think it to me, if the Buccaneers don't win a playoff game mm. and they get an early head start in their offseason, they have to make a decision and it's apparent to them that Tom Brady wants to move on. I think the Buccaneers make a run for Derek Carr. And I think it makes sense with Derek Carr because the NFC South is weak. I said, I said that on my Beach Report live show, if Derek Carr wants to win in 2023, it's best best to go to the NFC South. There are no, if, assuming Tom Brady goes somewhere else, there are no high-end quarterbacks in that division. Sam Darnold is going to be a free agent. Even if he does come back, Derek Carr is way better than Sam Darnold. Andy Dalton is going to be a free agent. The Saints have Jameis Winston under contract. Derek Carr is better than Jameis Winston. Uh, and the, 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 the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have their backup is who? It's Blaine Gabbert, Kyle Blaine Trask. Gabbert. So, you know, it's if he goes to NFC South, he's going to be the best quarterback in that division. I think a team in that division that's looking for a quarterback would be interested in a Derek Carr. Uh, Carolina Panthers could draft a quarterback depending on what their new regime wants to do because they have to hire a new head coach. So they may want to get a quarterback with one of their with their uh, first round pick. But Mm -hmm. the Raiders pick before the Panthers, I believe. So they're not they're not up in the order to get unless they trade up with, you know, the Chicago Bears who who shouldn't go after a quarterback. They should stick with Justin Fields. But unless they trade up, I, I would be interested in Derek Carr if I'm the Carolina Panthers. So I, I think the NFC South is a good spot for him. On the show, I said it would be the Saints. Um, he'll reunite with his first head coach, Dennis Allen. I know some people said that relationship is not that strong. To me, it doesn't matter. It's about familiarity. They obviously, Dennis Allen felt good enough to draft him when he was with the Raiders. So I feel like there is a connection there. There's some stability. But to, to your, your New York Jets question and then the odds i believe are the jets are have the highest odds of, of getting Derek Carr right now i think that's more on the jet side because it's already out connor hughes of uh sports new york already put out that Derek Carr is on the jets wish list so the mm. jets definitely want Derek Carr. but the problem with the jets wanting Derek Carr is does Derek Carr want to go there because remember Derek Carr has that no trade clause so if he doesn't want to go to the jets for whatever reason some people say it's because of cold weather because the jets haven't been winning 
Some people say the Jets are unstable. I would say the Jets are a stable organization. They just haven't made a lot of good decisions. Right. And that's why they haven't been a good football team. Because Joe Douglas, for the most part, aside from his bust of a quarterback and Zach Wilson, the rest of his picks have been pretty good. Elijah Vera Tucker, Garrett Wilson is in the running for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Sauce Gardner is in the, is the running for Defensive Rookie of the Year. He had a pretty good draft. Brees Hall was good, was great before he tore his ACL. They had a great draft class. It's just Zach Wilson didn't work out from the year before. But Joe Douglas is a pretty solid GM. And if Derek Carr believes in that GM, I think that'll be attractive for him. Is Does he want to play in the cold weather? That's up to him. I, I think right. maybe as far as cold weather with Carr, maybe we talk about it a lot. But mm-hmm. I, I think I don't know if Carr feels like I, I can't play in cold weather. If you're a competitor, yeah. you're saying I could succeed anyway. Yeah, and we're going off previous statistics, of course, which is his win-loss record in those areas, but his win-loss record overall is not great either. So, you know, who knows how much that has to do with it. But, Mo, you look at the Jets, and, and you're right. So so we we got these odds. This is from bookies.com. Adam Thompson down there developed the odds around where Derek Carr is go. And we have the Jets at plus 400. So the implied probability there is 20%. The Titans, which I hadn't thought of, the Titans – at plus 475 and 17.4%, and then the Buccaneers at plus 500. Uh, and then the Colts, who a lot of people keep naming because of uh, their need at a quarterback. I think the Colts actually, with a new head coach coming in, are going to go young. I don't think they're going to go. They might go get somebody that, to step in uh, as an in-case deal, but I, I don't anticipate them going after uh, Derek Carr like everybody thinks they will. I have a couple of comments here about the Titans. <laughs> I, a lot you of people... to say? Yeah, I... I People have been connecting Derek Carr to the Titans because of the Todd Downing connection. Yes. Todd Downing just got fired, I believe, yep. on Tuesday. Yep. So there goes that connection. The other thing is, if you're Derek Carr, do you want to go to the Titans? They they just fired their GM yeah. a couple of months ago. Derek Henry's there, but as far as your weapon, Traylon Burks, he showed some flashes, but not a lot of weapons there. They also have to redo no. their offensive line. Yep. I don't think the Titans are as attractive as people think. The Colts connection, the Colts obviously need a quarterback. I think, and I believe GM Chris Ballard made a comment that if they really like a quarterback, they're willing to trade up. Who knows? They may not have to, depending on you know how, how the chips fall. Does mm-hmm. someone trade up with the Cardinals at the third spot? They may not have to trade up to get a CJ Stroud. We'll see. Yep. But I, I, the, the other thing about this is, and I know if it's a good deal, you take it, but remember, Josh McDaniels spurned the Colts. A few years ago, he was supposed to take that head coaching job. And Chris Ballard was the guy that was going to hire him. And Chris Ballard is still there. I'm wondering if there's still bad blood. Will Chris Ballard be willing to work with the Raiders because of what happened there? Now, if the Mm. deal is good, the deal is good. You take it. But do you wonder if there's still some bad blood there? Because I believe that Chris Ballard took that personal when Josh McDaniels spurned him at the altar. No, that's a great point. Not many people have brought that up, but it's certainly true. But I, I think, look, I think out of those three, the Jets, the Buccaneers, I think it's going to be the Jets or the Buccaneers. Uh, and, and to your point about, I mean, if you look at the Buccaneers, I know a lot of people want to say the Buccaneers are not very good because of what happened this year, but they had, they were beset by injuries. Uh, and that's what happened, both sides of the ball, by the way. And so, the, the, and the division is bad. So you have the opportunity uh, to get into the playoffs next year, a good shot with the best team still in that division, but the Jets overall are a overall better team, Mo, wouldn't you say, if you have a quarterback there and the right offensive coordinator? Because I think they need to they need to clean house there on the offensive side. And and if you do that, the Jets with their defense, 
and the offensive weapons they have, man, if I'm Derek Carr, even if I don't want to play in the cold, that's pretty damn tempting. Let's remember the Jets were right in the playoff picture before they started to fade around Thanksgiving. They lost, I believe, five straight games, but they fired their offensive coordinator right before we got on air. So there's no yeah. Michael Floor there. So that connection to Jimmy G is gone. So you wonder who they're going to bring in. I think that probably matters to Derek Carr since Robert Sala is a defensive-minded head coach. Mm-hmm. So that's going to matter to Derek Carr who they bring in there. So I'm wondering if they're going to bring in somebody who's familiar with Carr. Can you imagine if the Jets tried to hire Greg Olson to be their OC <laughs> because he's familiar with Derek Carr? I can see that being a, a oh. chess move. Would that be would that be would that be a move before they went out and got car? Would that be a a tip of the hand to us to let them know? So we have to watch that pretty closely. Yeah, if they if they go and hire Greg Olson, I would say then the odds would would move up there for the Jets. But another thing though, I've watched a lot of Jet games, obviously in my market, and Mm -hmm. they're they are a quarterback away from being a playoff team. I'm not going Super Bowl contender. But they're a good quarterback away from being a playoff team, no doubt. They they would have got in over the Dolphins had they had a serviceable starting quarterback and not Zach Wilson. But one comment about a team that's not on this list that I see, I don't see, the Miami Dolphins should be on this list. I agree. Two has had the, the two has had two or three concussions this year. Yep. There's no way they trust Tua to get through a full season. He's had injuries before coming into the NFL, and he's been injured in the NFL. Yeah. So if I'm the Dolphins, Serious. I'm like right, and and these are this is head trauma. So right. it's not if I'm the right. Dolphins, if I'm the Dolphins, I'm I'm making a call for Derek Carr, and I'm I'm pretty sure the Dolphins are not going to beat the Buffalo Bills, so they'll have a, a one and done exit, and they'll have an early start to the offseason. I'm now thinking, okay, Tua can't stay healthy. Let's get Derek Carr in here if we can get him for a second round pick. <laughs> Yeah, and and I I was on that boat early with Miami because of the uncertainty. This was right after Tua got hurt, actually. Mm-hmm. And if I'm them, I I just don't see how. Look, they're going up to Buffalo, playing a rookie quarterback. That game's over. I don't care. It's you you might you might as well mail it in, really, with that rookie quarterback. I really believe that. Okay, so you're just moving towards next year. Okay, yeah, you made the playoffs, and and the coach can say even though he had the same record as Brian Flores, eight and eight, right? So, anyway, it it, it doesn't matter. But I think you're right. I think Miami need is going to need a veteran quarterback that they can count on, and you got to give it to Derek Carr. He, he's not injured often, right? I mean, he gets banged up here and there, but he doesn't miss games. And nope. if you have a team like that, I mean, you have Tyreek Hill there, right? You you have the weapons in place to where I think Derek Carr would do well there. And Miami would fit the bill for him perfectly because of the weather, because of everything uh, the coach, everything. I think it just would be a positive environment for him. So we'll see. I think the folks in New York clearly. I'm really surprised that the 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 skeptical because New York media is always skeptical. Um, the skeptical New York media really seems to be championing the acquisition of Derek Carr. Does that surprise you? It doesn't surprise me because if you know Jets fans, they are hungry for. <laughs> For some consistency at that position, they've been flipping through quarterbacks for how long now? I remember the years of Geno Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick being the savior at the quarterback position for them. I know Geno Smith has had a good year this year, but back then, Geno Smith was not thought to be a high-end quarterback, and they were hoping that Geno Smith would be that guy after Mark Sanchez, and he wasn't. Yeah, and really the only guy that was consistently the starter, and it wasn't for very long, so they had a little consistency, was Pennington, right? Until he got hurt? Yeah. Yeah, I remember Pennington had some had some solid years. He, again, he wasn't a high end quarterback no. that's going to throw for forty, you know, thirty five touchdowns, but he was pretty solid. Wasn't going to turn the ball over. Yeah. Accurate quarterback. So, it's 
you think about that and you, you think how long it's been since the Jets had com- some consistency at that position and you're bringing a Derek Carr who, by the way, I, you know, there's a lot of negative out there about him from one portion of a portion of the fan base, but he did take a downtrodden and Raiders team to the playoffs last year mm-hmm. under chaotic circumstances. Sure. I don't, I don't want to talk too much about 2016 because it was so <laughs> long ago. We'll talk, we'll talk about now post injury when he uh, broke his, I believe his fibula ankle. He has taken the team to the to the playoffs, and he's has performed well in chaotic, dysfunctional situations. Now, is he a top ten, top eight quarterback? No, but I think he's good enough to get the Jets to the playoffs, and that's what they need. And that's what they're looking for. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say is I, I I'll go on record as saying I think Derek Carr, wherever he ends up, will have a good year next year because he had a down year this year um, for whatever reason. And the extra motivation of a team giving up on you, because that's what the Raiders have done. They've given up on Derek Carr. They're ready to move on. Um, that gets you motivated, right? That's how you have comeback of the year type people, uh, players who come out and they're dropped by their team and it's seemingly their career's over or it's not going in the right direction. So so I wouldn't bet against Derek Carr next year uh, and having a good year wherever he ends up. Okay, we're up against our first break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears from the quarterback position to the running back position. We're going to talk about Josh Jacobs and Moe's working on a column about that and what the Raiders need to do to sign him. And if they should sign him, we're going to get into that and talk about the salary cap. We're going to talk about the um, franchise tag, right? Been a lot of information on that. And we'll talk about that, give you that number and how that might play into the Raiders keeping hold of their offensive MVP this year. All due respect to Devontae Adams, it was Josh Jacobs who won the rushing crown. So we'll do that when we come back here. You're listening to the Tuesday, excuse me, the Thursday edition of Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast with Mo and Scott. We'll be back right after this. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, Silver and Black. Today, the Thursday edition, one step closer to the weekend. We hope you're having a great week, Raider Nation. He is Mo Moten. He's a national NFL writer at Bleacher Report. He is also the Raiders columnist up on sportsnot.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mo Moten, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at LV Gully, Scott Branson with you, and we are just happy to be able to breathe another day and talk to you about Raiders football as we go into this really pivotal off season for this franchise again, uh, for which seems like the Raider fans have had to hear that every year. But really, they they have some talent. They need to do a lot of work. 
and GM Dave Ziegler, as we mentioned on Tuesday's show, has a lot of work to do. But one of the things they know is they have, uh, based on this past year, they have the best running back in the NFL. Josh Jacobs won the rushing title, 1,600 yards. Uh, Josh Jacobs was denied his fifth-year option going into the season. Still believe that that was the right call for the Raiders, but Josh Jacobs went out and he did it. He not only stayed healthy the entire season, but he won the rushing title. He was the offense MVP for this Las Vegas Raiders team. So we look at the situation, and I know you're working on a piece, Mo, that people can catch mm-hmm. uh, up. Is that going to be on Bleacher Report or Sports Not? Sports Not, actually. That's going to be actually, on Sports Not. Are you talking about the Josh Jacobs piece? Yes, it's up already. It's up already. Mm-hmm. See, there it is. I haven't had time to read it yet. So Mo's going to tell me <laughs> so, I, so I can read it later. Uh, but anyway, you look at Josh Jacobs and his contribution. Um, and in, in my view, I told you on the last show, I thought that there was no way now with them moving on from Derek Carr and whatever they do, a quarterback will obviously be a huge story. But to me, they have to sign Josh Jacobs now. And the way you do that, though, is where the detail, the devil's in the details. If you look at this team, let me get your first year view. And I know you express it a little bit in your piece, but how important now is it for this team? I know the running back position in the NFL isn't what it used to be. But now where this team is at, how important is it for them to bring Josh Jacobs back? I think it's very important simply because if you look at Josh McDaniel's history with with the Patriots, yeah, he had Tom Brady, but I believe more times than not, he also had our top 10 rushing offense. Mm -hmm. He's done it in different ways. He's had multiple backs a lot of times, and we talked about that in the the, this past offseason. But he's also had a a workhorse back a few times. If you remember, like Garrett, Blount went off one year. Oh, yeah. He was one of their Super Bowl years. He went off and he had well over a thousand yards. And he was basically the only guy getting carries. And that's basically what Josh Jacobs was this year. So Josh McDaniels knows how to build a good rushing attack, whether it's a one man back, a one man wrecking crew, a two man backfield, a platoon of three, four running backs. He knows how to field a good rushing offense. So I think Josh Jacobs is important to the success of that offense. The other thing is, because you're letting Derek Carr go, we're assuming that he's going to get traded. It's important to maintain as many leaders as you can on the offensive side of the ball. I know Devontae Adams is there, but as I said on the previous episode, the players, the players in that locker room wanted Josh Jacobs to be a captain. And I think that speaks volumes and that's important for, for, for a football team that's, again, letting go of one of their, their leaders. So as far as as far as the details, I know we're going to dive into that. But I think there's one thing that was overblown about Josh Jacobs and his fifth-year option. A lot of people say, well, the Raiders made a mistake, and they're probably regretting not exercising his fifth-year option because it was only $8 million. Listen, if, Raiders fans, if you're listening to me right now, if you win the <laughs> rushing title in 2022 yes. and you have one year left in your deal, you're <clears throat> telling your agent, I want a new contract now. Right. So I think I think Josh Jacobs would have pushed for a new deal, even even if the Raiders had exercised a fifth year option. I don't Great think point. he would have paid. I don't think he would have played on that fifth year eight million dollar option after winning the rushing title. You're going to your agent saying, "Look, this is the best I've been. Let's go get the money now." Right. And if you look at the way Dave Dave Ziegler has done business, he gave Hunter Renfro an extension with years left on his deal. With a year left on his deal, mm-hmm. he gave Darren Waller an extension with two years left on his deal. So if I'm Josh Jacobs, I'm saying if those guys got an extension with time left in a deal, I should be able to get an extension with time left in my deal, especially after the year that I just had. Yeah, especially, I mean, Darren Waller's missed, I mean, at the time of it, it only missed half, a little bit less than half a year. Now he's missed 
basically half a year of the last two seasons. Uh, and so, so different, different thing there. But Mo, you let's talk about that structure because you're right. I think, I think, listen, it, no matter what would have happened, even if he was on the option, um, right. you're right. They would have wanted to renegotiate and, and deservedly so yeah. to your point, right? So exactly. you, he, he earned it. And, and so you want to do that. But now the franchise tag, I'm going to throw this up there on the screen for those of you watching us. But the franchise tag, this is projected, right? This is from uh, OTC. Um, and, and we don't know that this is it, but this, they're, they're usually pretty dang close. You can see the franchise tag is $10.1 The transition tag, which I don't think would apply here, is $8.9, basically. So, so you're looking at this and, and you're saying, okay, at worst, if, if, if you can't negotiate a deal with him, uh, by the date, uh, by the end of the the NFL year, start of the new new NFL year, and tell me if I have my dates right here, Mo. Then what they could do is they, if they're negotiating and they still haven't come to a deal, hopefully they come to a deal before that. But let's say they don't, because the Raiders have a lot to do. They can say, hey, listen, in good faith, we're going to tag you, okay? We're going to tag you, and then we're going to keep on negotiating. They can do that, can they not, Mo? Absolutely. So the tag opens. The, the time frame to tag a player opens at the end of February. I believe it's February 21st. 21st, yeah. And it ranges to March 7th. So they could tag a player in between that time period. Then they have, from the time they tag a player until July 15th, which is the deadline to work out a long-term deal with franchise tag players, they have about a five-month span to work with Josh Jacobs or whoever they tag. Again, that deadline is Jan July 15th. So... They have more than enough time to work to hammer out a deal. And I wrote this in my piece that I expect the Raiders to tag Josh Jacobs. To me, it's the it's the it's the practical thing to do. Especially Josh McDaniels has said that they've had talks with Josh Jacobs and they and they they're gonna try to work on an extension with him. So to me, I would I would expect a tag. It's kind of like a placeholder contract to say, look, mm -hmm. we're gonna as you said, we're gonna tag you, but we're gonna continue to work with your camp on a new deal. Now, ideally speaking, You'd want the two sides to come to an agreement on a contract, and you would think they'd be able to do that because the Raiders are going to have a lot of cap space. I wrote about this. They're going to have over 60 million cap space, assuming Derek Carr is traded or cut. So yeah. they'll have the they'll have the wiggle room. Even if they go get a time break, they'll have the wiggle room to work out a long term contract with Josh Jacobs, and they'll have a lot of time to do it. Now, what you worry about is if they don't come to an agreement and they head into training camp and there's no deal in place, is Josh Jacobs going to be disgruntled? Now. The way the collective bargaining agreement is set up, there's no real benefit to holding out. But you see players now hold in. That was a thing last summer where players would come to practice, but they wouldn't participate in any drills. They would just kind of be off on the side doing mm -hmm. individual things and working with their trainers. So that's something to keep an eye on. But I think the Raiders have enough cap space where they can work out a deal with Josh Jacobs before the July 15th deadline. Yeah, and this is where I also think, you know, we talked about, and, and it seems to be... You know, if we shook the magic eight ball, right, if we shook the magic eight ball, it would probably say it appears so. And this is the all the Brady to Vegas talk. And I, I bring up Brady right now because, um, number one, the Raiders would be much more appealing to Brady with some new offensive linemen, yes, but also with the running back. I mean, he ran that that New England offense. He knows how it runs, clearly. He knows when it's successful, he not only has to perform well, but he knows that they have a good running offense as well. And so I think that would be very appealing to him. Uh, and so all these little pieces of the puzzle, Mo, getting one player that begets another player, then begets another player, to me is a little bit of the drama 
and the mystique will see this offseason because this is what will happen is if you get, you know, you have Devontae Adams there. He said he wants to stay a Raider clearly and with the cap space and all that stuff, you know that's going to happen. But for him to be bought in and really feel good about things, he wants to see them make the right moves. Signing Josh Jacobs would be that move. So then you have Jacobs and you have Adams, your two offensive leaders at this point without a quarterback. They would be very happy. Then you have your quarterback. So if you bring in the quarterback, if it is Tom Brady, great. Then you suddenly you have your offense pretty much. You just need to get that offensive line in shape if you don't do it beforehand. So you look at all of this together, and this is where I think I believe, I really believe, and you guys can all tell me if I, I was wrong. I really believe that Josh Jacobs will be the first domino to fall. I believe they will actually, as much as we're talking about scenarios about tagging in the time between March and July to be able to sign him, I think they will do that early because like they did last year in tying up their core players, I think going into another year of uncertainty with some of those roster guys, you need to do that. You also need to do that to set up yourself better for free agency. Absolutely. And to your point about Brady, let's just remember what type of offense Brady has right now. He doesn't have a run game in Tampa Bay. Tampa no, Bay is the last. He's Tampa Bay is last in rush attempts, last in rushing yards. So that offense, that Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense is all Brady. And he knows he's going to be 46 years old. He he doesn't want to be – I'm sure he doesn't want to have to throw the ball 700-plus times to get, the, get an offense going. If he looks at the Rays and says, okay, they re-signed Josh Jacobs, I'm going to actually have a running back I can rely on and depend on <laughs> to help me carry this offense along with Devontae Adams and whoever they keep on the outside. So I think, as to your point, Josh Jacobs is, a, is an appealing piece if you're trying to attract the Tom Brady who's coming from an offense that doesn't have a ground attack. Right. But uh, – Go ahead. No, but I was going to say, as, as far as the time frame is concerned, I, I'm with you. I think I think the Raiders work out a deal with Josh Jacobs sooner than later, simply because, I mean, unless he wants... Now, it all depends on what Josh Jacobs wants. If he wants to reset the market, if he wants to make 15, 16 million, then talks can stall and, and it may not it may not happen because I don't I don't right, see right Dave Ziggler wanting to reset the market with the running back. But if Josh Jacobs is willing to set up for about 13, 14 million, I can see getting that done because he'll be a top four paid running back and the Rays won't have to reset the market at the position. Yeah, I'll settle for 13 or 14 million. <laughs> I'll settle for 13. 14 million. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, which, which also, though, Mo, you, as, as part of the situation with Josh Jacobs, um, you mentioned the Raiders cap position. I'm going to throw this up, too, and, and talk about it. I know I know a lot of folks don't like PFF pro football focus. I like pro football focus. Uh, I'm not saying that they're the Bible of everything, but they do do some interesting analytics work. And they had their NFL offseason resources composite table where they basically rank teams based on draft capital, effective cap space, and proratable money, right? So money they can move forward uh, and and free up space. So basically the, the state of the financial piece of the player personnel side for the NFL teams. Uh, and they looked at this, and they they just published it uh, on Wednesday, and they weighed it this way: draft capital, the weight gi given is 1.5, effective cap space is one, and on proratable money is a quarter percent, basically a quarter point, I should say. So I'm going to show this. I'm going to put it up on the screen uh, here and cover our faces with it. But if you look at this composite table, you have the Texans, Bears, Seahawks, and then the Raiders. They rank the Raiders at 90.3 out of 100. So you can have a composite score of 100, which the Texans, who are you know, obviously the worst team in the league and, and should have had the number one pick, because, but Lovey Smith gave him a little gift on his way out. Um, 
Uh, but they, you look at this situation, the Raiders with a 90.3 are fourth in the NFL. The scary one in this one, for those uh, that are watching or listening, is the Seahawks at three because the Seahawks are a playoff team this year and they have all those draft picks from Denver thanks to the Russell Wilson trade. Um, they can turn that thing around and be very, very, very good very quickly. But, Mo, you look at this and you look at the Raiders' cap percentile at just under 71%. Draft percentile at 90.32%, and then the pro-rate percent, uh, which is far less important, under 20%. But you look at that, and this tells you that the Raiders, you know, you you look at, you and I have been talking about it for a week, about all these holes they have to fill. And I keep telling fans, because they're, oh, it's going to take us three, four years. I don't think so. If, big if, the big if is if Dave Ziegler does his job really well, mixture of great, I shouldn't say great, very good hitting on high round draft picks, supplementing with good middle round draft picks, and then signing the right free agents that perform up to their contracts. The Raiders could turn this around pretty quickly, Mo. I'm not saying they're going to the Super Bowl next year, but they could quickly become a player on the AFC side in two years. It's not an impossible job. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is if you've been a Raider fan for the past, I don't know, <laughs> decade, you've seen a lot of wasted money in free agency. You've yeah. seen a lot of first round busts, a lot of early round busts, guys who don't even finish their rookie contracts. So I get why they're pessimistic about that. But as as I've said on previous shows, Dave Ziggler doesn't have a long track record. You can criticize what he's done in year one as a GM, but it's his first year as a GM. You learn and you move on. You hope that get to get better at your job as time goes on. But I, I just feel like I, I'm interested to see what Dave Ziegler has cooked up for free agency and the draft this year with the full draft class, with all the cap space that he's going to have, with the options that are going to be out there. Again, not an impossible task to fill their holes. But as you said, he's got to be on the ball. He's got to mm-hmm. hit on a lot of his draft picks. And those free agents that he brings in have to be immediate impact players because if they're not then the Raiders are going to have a slow rebuild. Right. And and I think I think I they have draft capital. It's not like they're the Seahawks with the most draft capital in the history of mankind almost. Um but if if I'm the Raiders too, I think the the situation at at on the right side of the offensive line, you got to look at getting and I haven't looked at the free agent list yet, Mo, I'm sure you have, but free agent list and then maybe even possibly a trade. Uh, if you you need to get a stud, especially if you do do a, a Brady situation, you got to get two studs right away on that offensive line on the right side. You can't. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You can't wait for a rookie to develop over three years. I'm not saying you don't draft anybody. Now, if they could draft somebody high, although the offensive, the tackle side of things in the draft is good but not great. So so you look at that, and to me, that says they got a lot of work to do there. So we might see some trades, um, especially with some of that draft capital to get somebody now. Because the pressure, right, you said, not only on Josh McDaniels, but on Dave Ziegler, if they had another year like they had this year, next year, that's not good for him either. But we already know Dave Ziegler is not against doing deals. He traded right. for Devontae Adams, even though a lot of people don't want to give him credit for that. The deal was done on his watch. <laughs> Her car did that. Uh, <laughs> and then he made the trade for Rocky Sin, and that now that deal didn't go as well. But Rocky Sin, before he hurt his knee and missed the last, I believe, five games of the season, he was playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you're missing Yannick Ngakwe, and Yannick Ngakwe had more sacks than Chandler Jones by far, but you, you look at what Dave Ziegler has done. He's opened 
to all sorts of options, trades and what have yep. you to, to improve this football team. So to your point, I, I think they do swing maybe a trade to get an offensive line because let me tell you, offensive tackles, good offensive, high-end offensive tackles usually don't hit the market. I believe right no. now, in my opinion, the best right tackle that, that is going to be available in the free agent market is, is one of three guys. It's, it's, it's Isaiah Wynn of the Patriots, who's mm-hmm. injury-prone. Yep. It's George Fan who played with the Jets. He had some injuries this year as well, and he's, I believe, about 30 years old. And then it's Kelvin Beecham who played right tackle Beecham. for Cardinals. I believe those are the top three right tackles on the market if you're going to go the veteran route. Now, if you're going to fill holes elsewhere, I'm looking at – now, a lot of people – I don't want to get into a tangent, but if you're going to fill holes elsewhere, I would I would go after a veteran defensive tackle. Javon Hargrave is going to be on the market. We'll see what happens with Deron Payne. I think the Washington Commanders are going to tag him, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Jesse Bates is going to hit the market. So you can fill other holes in that roster with some high-end defensive playmakers. It's the yeah. off, As you said, it's the offensive side that I'm worried about because, really quick, Vic Taper had a report out saying that the Raiders are planning on moving – Dylan Parham from guard to center. Right. So what that means is you don't have a starting guard on the roster right now because Alice Bars is not a starter. You got rid of John Simpson. The Raiders need two guards, not one. They need two guards and a right tackle. And a right tackle. Oh, that's all. <laughs> Basically the core of your offensive line. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 and again, a lot of folks, well, we got to draft internal linemen. There's really only three. And they're all, and we know one of them, Jalen Carter from Georgia, is going to go high in the draft, probably the Chicago Bears, my guess. Yep. But but you never know. So so there, there's not a lot of guys. This is not a deep draft on the inside of the defensive line. So the Raiders are going to have to find a gem somewhere in the middle rounds, which I think they get somebody in the middle rounds anyway. But they're going to have to go out and get somebody there too. I agree with you 100%. God, it seems like the same conversation we had last year, Mo. That's a bad sign. If you're talking about the same holes that same you had holes. past off past season, that's not a yes. good sign. Yes. All right. We're going to take our final break of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about this weekend's NFL wildcard weekend, which they're now calling Super Wildcard Weekend, only because they now have a sponsor for that title. But I'm not going to call it Super because I don't want to give the sponsor a name out. Um, but the wildcard games coming up. This weekend, Mo will be covering those games, of course. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about them and also talk about how they relate to the Raiders a little bit because on the AFC side especially, as you start to look at the landscape for how this Raider team has to build for who they have to beat down the road. You're listening to Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Also, hello to our audience, 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas and 11.40 The Bet as well. Don't go anywhere. Mo and I will be right back after these words. Welcome back to the third and final segment of this edition of Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast also heard over the air in Las Vegas, Nevada, the home of your Las Vegas Raiders on 98.5 The Fan and 1140 The Bet in Las Vegas. So thank you to our radio audience for joining us as well. Mo, you think our voices is like our, because the radio waves are, if there are aliens out there, are they going to come down and say, Mo was right? about this or Scott was wrong about that. You think they're you think they're listening to the radio broadcasts of Silver and Black today? If they are, I hope they enjoy it and they don't like we, we need to kidnap these guys and and you know <laughs> Pro- have probe them, them? Our, probe them on, on what's going on with their government and what what's going on since these guys have voices. So boy it's for good. I- I want nothing to do with talking about our government. There's not a win there. Uh, I have no I have no secrets. Aliens, if you're listening, I have no secrets to share. 
I have no I'm, secrets. I did not hide any uh, former presidents and vice presidents, current presidents hiding classified documents in different places. I do not hide classified documents. So there you go. Anything else, I plead the fifth. But on that stuff, I wouldn't. But it, listen, we we get hammered and and tried. People try to cancel us for talking about their car. I can only imagine <laughs> talking about oh, politics. Man. Oh my gosh! God bless those people who do it. I could not do it. But we oh. are talking Las Vegas Raiders football. But now we're going to shift gears. It is Wild Card Weekend. Your Raiders aren't playing in the games, but I know a lot of you got some scratch on the game here in Ohio. We can now bet on our phones. So my wife's had to slap me a few times on the hand. She's like, why are you why are you funding all these different betting apps? I'm like, I'm trying them all. I'm trying to see which one I like, right? Um, and then I'm even getting to the point now where I'm sending Kelly messages, Kelly Kreiner, our good friend, uh, about the fact that I can bet on horse racing from my phone now, which is like crazy. So, uh, but we're talking football. We're talking wildcard football. Mo, <laughs> let's start off with some of these games, some really intriguing games, some games that I think are going to be pretty lopsided as well. And we started talking about draft capital. We talked about the Seattle Seahawks. Look, I'm not a big Pete Carroll fan because Pete Carroll is at USC and I'm a Notre Dame fan and I hate USC. And I know, excuse me, I know a lot of our Raider fans out there in Southern California like USC. So you'll have to pardon me on that one. But listen, the Seahawks trade away Russell Wilson. Geno Smith revives what career he had left. They finish nine and eight, nine and eight. They back into the playoffs Pete Carroll did a pretty dang good job coaching that team this year, especially a guy who some people, oh, he might be, he's retiring, he's older now and all that stuff. And then they have all that draft capital. So this Seattle Seahawks team is going to get a lot better between now and next season. But their prize for making the playoffs, they get to play the San Francisco 49ers, the number two seed on the NFC side. I, I don't see a way for Seattle to win this game. These two division foes, um, you look at San Francisco, Brock Purdy is not... Again, he is not a Hall of Famer or anything like that, but this kid is on fire. He's got the confidence. It's not that he wants to prove that he can play in the league. He's ready to make a run. This could be a Cinderella story of a guy coming from nowhere and making it to the Super Bowl a la uh, Kurt Warner. When you look at this game, any chance for the Seahawks team to compete with that defense and with Brock Purdy in that offense? No. But I will say this. <laughs> I'm putting this out there early. I'm putting this out there very, very, what is it, January 11th? Brock Purdy, Super Bowl MVP. I'm just saying. Are okay, you? But yes. You're going to bet that Purdy one? Is, he, I, I, I probably will after this. Brock bet Purdy. Prop. Bet the prop. Brock Purdy is going to be Super Bowl MVP. But anyway, so that, that kind of tips my hand on where I'm going with this. I don't think Seattle, I mean, it's hard to beat an opponent three times in one year. As you mentioned, these are division rivals. But to me, even though the 49ers have a rookie quarterback, the way they can run the ball and Seattle, Seattle's one of their weaknesses is running the football. I, I don't think I don't think Seattle stands a chance. I think it's going to be a double-digit win for the 49ers. Mm. Between their defense and the way they run the football, it's just going to give Seattle too many problems. Even though Geno Smith, as I said, has a comeback play of the worthy season, I just think the totality of it with Seattle having some young stars that are going to get great experience, don't get me wrong, Mm-hmm. They're also going to make some mistakes out there against a more veteran laden 49ers squad. And I think the 49ers roll at home. So, and I agree with you hundred percent. And here's what I think. I think, I think the 49ers um, with all due respect to Eagles fans out there, actually they're pretty jerky. So I don't care if they respect it. I don't have to give respect. Um, it would be a popular thing to say in New York, wouldn't it? Plus they're ahead of us in the podcast standings on the NFL side. So, um, but no, seriously, <laughs> I think the 49ers will represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I really do. And if they were to win, 
Um, being on being a lifelong AFC guy, personally, I want to see the AFC always win the Super Bowl. But if they make it to the Super Bowl and and they win, I think Christian McCaffrey will be the MVP. I think Christian McCaffrey is going to explode in the playoffs. I really do. We'll see how that all goes. All right, so there's that first game, not as exciting. Now, this game is exciting. It includes an AFC West team, uh, and this is one I've already bet, Mo. I've already taken the underdog in this game. You have the Chargers visiting the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have no faith in Brandon Staley or the Chargers. Um, that probably comes from my scarred childhood. But nonetheless, I think the Jaguars plus one and a half. I like this game. I just think when you look at what Brandon Staley did last week, getting Mike Williams injured again, when the game had absolutely zero Zero. So all of you out there in Raider Nation who think that Josh McDaniels is the worst coach in the NFL, I can argue Brandon Staley's worse because he knew he was in the playoffs. He couldn't change his seating, and he's playing starters and gets them injured. And Bosa's injured, too. So I don't see – I just think that this team is run amok because I think the leader is is careless and reckless. And I like Jacksonville, and I, they are on a roll. And Trevor Lawrence, over the last four weeks – looks everything everyone thought he would be coming out of college. Now, to connect, before I get into my prediction, to connect this to the Raiders, let's understand that, now this is just a rumor, but Stephen A. Smith is saying that if the Chargers lose this game, that Brandon Staley is probably going to get fired. Yeah. And that opens up the seat for Sean Sean Payton Payton. or Jim Harbaugh, you know, Mm -hmm. who knows. So if the Chargers lose this game, I'm, I'm waiting for the announcement to happen if it does happen you know he doesn't even then, get on the plane <laughs> right he doesn't even get back to address his team they right Tom Telesco just says look you put yourself in a situation you basically sabotage this roster before the playoff game as yeah. you said guy, Mike Williams gets hurt Joey Bosa gets hurt Kenneth Murray gets hurt these are guys that were battling injuries during the season why would you play them in a meaningless regular season game it just made the the, the excuse he gave was just asinine he said Basically said it's not easy because you only have but so many players to choose from. <laughs> Look, you you got guys on a practice squad. You got third stringers for that. Come on, you can yes. you can put out guys that that haven't got a lot of playoff time that may get need some reps. The the, the excuse he gave is just bogus. But I, I I'm still on the Chargers simple because I know the Jaguars rolled the Chargers early in the year, but that was a Chargers team that wasn't healthy. I believe Josh uh, Justin Herbert was dealing with a rib injury. He had that I don't believe yeah. Keenan Allen was dealing with a hamstring injury. So with Keenan Allen healthy, with Justin Herbert healthy, I still think the Chargers edge the Jaguars. Hmm. I know the Jaguars have a Super Bowl winning head coach, but Trevor Lawrence hasn't been great over the past month. I know the Jaguars have been winning because their, their defense has actually played well. And they can run the ball, but Trevor Lawrence hasn't been great. And I think it's going to come down to which quarterback makes the most plays, and I think that'll be Justin Herbert. He hasn't been great, Mo, but I would argue that over that same time frame, he's done what he's had to, and he's 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 mm-hmm. he's, he's he's led his team to wins, even despite having some errors and some some actually unforced interceptions and things that he's had to your point going down. So looking at it from that perspective, absolutely. Um, and, and I see it, I, I just see it. Uh, I see it the other way. So we'll see how it all works out. All right. Then we go up to Buffalo and the bills host the Miami dolphins who also backdoored into the playoffs. And uh, you look at this situation there where they're going to be starting a rookie Skylar Thompson, <laughs> Skylar Thompson uh, is going to uh, start in the hostile cold environment that is Buffalo home to one Mr. Evan Grote as well. 
And um, <laughs> this this one, I think, I think this one has the opportunity to be the biggest blowout in the entire playoffs. I think that this Dolphins team, even though it has talent, I just think with the fact on a third string quarterback having to go to Buffalo uh, with some of the rumors because of their crappy ownership, some of the rumors around this team that, that they might fire McDaniel that was before they made the playoffs, but still there's just the fact that you're going to maybe fire a coach after one year again. Uh, and, and after everything that happened with Brian Flores just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think the team's a little bit in turmoil um, and, and that's not good for them. And the uncertainty is not good for them. So I like Buffalo. I like Buffalo big. Again, to tie in, so to keep our Raider audience engaged, I think yeah. this game is important because if the Dolphins lose, again, I said this in segment one or two, that segment one, that if Dolphins lose, I think they're going to start to look for a veteran quarterback. And I think mm-hmm. that's when you start to make a call for Derek Carr. Now, I hope the Raiders, in best case scenario, the Raiders can get a one for Derek Carr, but they're de- they can definitely get a, a second rounder for him. And the Dolphins don't have a first rounder because they had the forfeited because of the, all the tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton that they did yeah. a couple of years ago. So the best they can do is offer a second for Derek Carr and, and maybe a defensive playmaker on that side of the ball. So who knows? But I think if they get eliminated, they make a call for Derek Carr. But I'm with you. I think they get rolled. Skylar Thompson against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills in that defense. The Dolphins don't stand a chance. It's not happening. I, I understand Skylar Thompson played his college ball at Kansas State, and I get it. Good season for him. Good season for him getting the Dolphins in the playoffs. But Kansas State and a couple of starts doesn't get you ready for the Buffalo Bills in a wild card round in the cold. No, and and the cold. Listen, I lived in Kansas. It's cold. It's not Buffalo cold. And <laughs> Kansas State, he maybe played two or three games a year in that cold, and that was it. Uh, if uh-huh. if if that. So so yeah, I agree with that. By the way, one of the things that we haven't mentioned, and this is why I jumped so quickly, like you did. And, and if it happens, we both deserve a lot of credit. We don't usually ask for that, but I'm, I'm going to ask for it. And that is the big thing with Miami, too. And the reason I immediately looked there, not only because of the two injury, one Mr. Reginald McKenzie. Yep. Right. People forget Reggie McKenzie is in Miami. Reggie McKenzie is a pretty big fan of Derek Carr. Yeah, drafted him second in the second round. Turned out to be a pretty good quarterback. I think Reggie McKenzie would tap Mike McDaniel on the shoulder and say, "Look, I I drafted this guy. I I I I've been in a Raider organization. No no <laughs> shot at fans or anything, but it's not the most buttoned up organization. It wasn't the most buttoned up organization when I was there. Yeah. Derek Carr is better than a lot of people think he is. We bring him to Miami with Tyree Kill, with Jalen Waddle. You know, have give him a run game, a steady offensive line." Yeah. Some defensive playmakers, he can he can keep us in the playoff mix. So again, I think if if the Dolphins lose, which I think they will, I think they make a call for Derek Carr with with, with a guy in the front office that's going to vouch for him. Absolutely. All right. Now we look at the next game, Mo. We go to the NFC side. New York Giants, the New York Football Giants, at the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, so this is a six versus three seed. The Brian Dable story this year, great story. Um, as well as Daniel Jones making his first career playoff start. Saquon Barkley, Darius Slayton, another great year as well. You look at this game, and I was surprised because I don't know if it's the end of the Raiders season being disappointing. And I had some Raider fans uh, talking about how, you know, some teams are so lucky to be in bad divisions. And if you look at, like, the Minnesota Vikings, they're not very good. They just beat up on – and they lost to good teams. I'm like, the Minnesota Vikings are 13-4. and 
Like, it's not like they're nine and eight and just happen to make the playoffs because they play in the NFC South. This team, it's interesting. They're not flashy or exciting with the exception of a couple guys. But they're, when, you, when you look at Kirk Cousins, of course you have Dalvin Cook, but Justin Jefferson there clearly is the guy. Um, but you look at this Vikings team, I li- I'm intrigued by this matchup because as good as the Vikings are, I think the Giants match up pretty well against them, even though it's on the road. This could be a really good game, Mo. And, and, but but to back to the Vikings, the Vikings get zero credit. They get zero credit because I think people remember the bad games. Remember they got blown out <laughs> yeah. by Dallas. Yes. And then yes. They, and then they go then they fall behind by 30 something points. 31 at, points. But to the Colts at home. Yeah. And then they they recently got blown out. So it's I understand why people are skeptical of the Vikings cuz they're probably the the worst good team in recent yeah. memory because three even of though, their four losses were just ridiculous. Right. When yeah. they're bad, they're terrible. There's no <laughs> like if they, they're either competitive and their games are close or they're just flat out terrible. Right, and I think that's that's why they they're not getting a lot of respect. I, I believe when they won their twelfth game, they were the only twelve win team with a negative point differential. So this is why people are skeptical of the Vikings. I'm yeah. skeptical of the Vikings, not just because I live in New York City and a lot of my friends are Giants fans, but I just think it's, it's hard. Again, it's hard to beat a team twice within yeah. a month. The, the Vikings beat the Giants by three points in Week 16. They play again. I think the Giants flip it this time and win this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth yeah. affair, too. I really do. And to your point, I think it comes down to like one of those last-second field goals. And like the Vikings, when we're bad on this show, we're bad. No. <laughs> we're, we're bad, and we're bad, man. We're bad! Sorry. Okay. Uh, we got that one anyway. Uh, but yeah, I like the Giants in that, that one, too. Uh, then we go uh, out just uh, 33 miles south of where I sit in my studio here to Paycor Stadium. The Bengals host... The Baltimore Ravens uh, for the second week in the row and easy to pick the Bengals in this game. Uh, and I do think they will win. Uh, but the Ravens, for whatever reason, last week, and, and I think this is the, the Ravens d- either had a stroke of brilliance or they did the dumbest thing they could ever do. And that is if you watch the game at all, um, you'll see that the Ravens were doing a lot to frustrate the Bengals. They, the Ravens weren't. I wouldn't say trying to lose the game, but they weren't exactly trying to win the game. They knew they were going to play each other the following week. Yes, they could have been in Baltimore if the Ravens won, but Harbaugh kind of took the approach. They were doing cheap shots. They were taking, um, uh, they were jawing a lot with the Bengals, trying to get in their head a little bit. And it worked, but here's the thing, Mo. The Bengals are a much, I think, more talented and balanced team than the Ravens are. They're going to be playing at home in relatively warm weather, 42, 43 degrees uh, for Cincinnati in January is not not too cold. Um, and, and this Bengals team, now winners of seven in a row, or eight in a row, excuse me, uh, seem like they're peaking at the right time. Could this Ravens team come into Cincinnati and beat the Bengals, or you think this is going to go the other way without a doubt? It's going the other way without a doubt. I mean, let's just address the elephant in the room. Lamar Jackson's not playing. <laughs> exactly. And, and since Lamar Jackson has gone down with an injury, the Ravens have averaged, I believe, 12.5 points a game. So the Bengals can go out there and kick three field goals and, and score one touchdown and probably still beat the Ravens with a score of 19, 20 points. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're probably going to see because Ra- Ravens have, don't get me wrong, Ravens have a tough defense. They just extended Roquan Smith, who changed that unit for the better. So I think the Ravens will play stout defense and limit the Bengals scoring. So the Bengals are not going to put up 35 points like the mm-hmm. Bills will against the Dolphins. 
but I do think that when it's all said and done, the margin of win is going to be about nine, 10 points because the Ravens just can't just haven't been able to score without Lamar Jackson. Tyler Hurley has practice, but he has tendonitis in, in his right shoulder. So you're looking at a third string quarterback, Anthony Brown, and he ain't no Brock Purdy out there. So <laughs> let me tell you, the Ravens are going to have problems scoring. They're only probably going to score about 10, 12 points. And, and, the, and the Bengals will win this about 20 to 12, something like that. Yeah, and the Bengals, who might be without, well, we'll see. It's early in the week. It's only Thursday. But yesterday, T. Higgins missed practice with an illness. So cold, flu, something. There's the flus going around everywhere. So could be that. Um, uh, but they have so many other weapons. I think the Bengals, with, with all of the attention that is put upon the Bills and the Chiefs, rightfully so, both incredibly talented teams, the Bengals kind of get shuffled down the deck uh, and of course, they had the opportunity to to show what they could do, and then we had the unfortunate incident with Demar Hamlin, and the game was canceled. And, and the it looked like now it was early, but it looked like the the Bengals were rolling on the Bills early in that game. So so uh, I think I think the country will see kind of just how good the Bengals are this weekend in what isn't a huge matchup for them as far as uh, a team that's going to push them, uh, but they'll get to see a little bit out on display. There is a writer angle here. Okay. Yes. Because I, know I was where, on I know my, where you're going. There was a there was a bleacher. I had my bleacher report live show and I read a question on air, and a lot of people wanted to know do the Raiders go after Lamar Jackson if he can't come to an agreement with the Ravens on a new deal? Because I, I assume that the Ravens are gonna franchise Lamar Jackson and try to yeah. work out a deal. But remember, he wants a Deshaun Watson type contract was fully guaranteed, and I don't think he's gonna get that. And the reason I don't think he's gonna get that is because he has now missed 10 games in the last two years. He's missed five games this year, and he missed five games last year. So to the Raider fans that want Lamar Jackson, I get it. He's exciting. He's dynamic. But he's starting to get hurt now with his play yep. style. Again, yep. 10 games in the last two years he's missed. Five games each year. And yep. he's not going to be playing. He's probably not going to be playing in this Ravens play game. So as good as he is, he can't even help the Ravens in this big game. My second point is if you want a Lamar Jackson, just remember you're probably going to have to give up a lot of draft capital to get him. And you have a lot of holes to fill. So all these people who want to trade for a quarterback. We need a defense. Get Lamar right, who Jackson. Tell me, who, who, who tell me, look, we got all these holes to fill. We, we, need to, we need to overhaul the defense. We need to patch up our offensive line. Well, if you're giving up draft capital for yeah. a quarterback, it limits the amount of capital you have to, to fill those holes. So this is why I, I advocate for either get a, a quarterback in free agency who you don't have to give up draft capital for, or just draft one and go with Stim as your, as your backup quarterback. You yeah. don't want to give up a bunch of draft capital because, you, again, you're going to have a slow rebuild because you need those draft picks to, to help your defense, to help your offensive line. And well, I don't think the move for, ja for Lamar Jackson is it. No, and and listen, the Ra if you look at the current state of the Ravens, their draft capital, their, their, their cap, their salary cap. Now, they went out and got Raquan Smith. Great move, okay? Mm -hmm. But you look at where they're at. The reason they're in the playoffs and pretty much have no chance of winning with Lamar Jackson hurt is because they don't have money to spend elsewhere. Now, I know he's on his deal, but but what I'm saying is if the Raiders did the same, if they went out and got Lamar Jackson and gave him $243 million or whatever the freaking contract is, um, then suddenly you're hampered by that. And, and if a guy's not playing, guess what happens to your team? Because you're going to be deficient in other areas because you're paying for one guy. When he's a larger percentage of the salary cap, that just is what it is. We've seen it in other places, and it's why it hampers teams. Uh, you're looking at Green Bay, for example. Um, all right, last game of the weekend um, is Dallas and Tampa Bay. Now, this one is on Monday night, so we're starting to have playoffs on Monday night football, which is kind of cool. Um, mm -hmm. In extending Monday night football, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, I just can't figure that guy out. 
But this one is huge for, I think, the Raiders in that if Tom Brady loses, then Tom Brady kind of is on the market and things could happen very quickly. If Tom Brady wins, then you got to wait and see what happens. Um, I don't see... I, th- this is a tough one. I don't see. I don't see how I pick a winner in this one. The, the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has so much talent, but never seems to put it together at the right time, and has been inconsistent. We saw last week just a terrible game. And then the Buccaneers just are deficient in key areas. Tom Brady does what he can. They don't have a running game. Micah Parsons is going to be there and give him trouble all game. And so I just don't know which way to pick this. To me, it's like a pick 'em. Like I, I don't know. It could go either way. I'm going with Dallas. And I'll tell you they're why. They're the better I, team. I, there's no question. They're the better team. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It's it's simply because the way the Buccaneers' offense is set up. Mm. Now, I know what they did against the Carolina Panthers, but I believe they pulled Josh Norman off the street because J.C. Horn got hurt. So they were, they Buccaneers able to move the ball vertically. But for the most part this year, the Buccaneers, their offense has been clunky for about 58 minutes of a football game. Then the last two minutes of a game and their hurry-up offense, that's when they start moving the ball. And I don't think you can wait till the end of the game, the last two minutes, to beat a Dallas Cowboys team. I know Dallas didn't look good against the Washington Commanders in the last week of the season. But they have multiple ways where they can move the ball. They're not super dependent on Dak Prescott. I know Dak Prescott's thrown a bunch of picks, I believe 11 interceptions since Thanksgiving. Yes. So they're, But they're not as and dependent missed, on Dak Prescott. He led the league with 15, and he missed five games. There you go. So... I, the Cowboys aren't as dependent on Dak Prescott as the Buccaneers are dependent on Tom Brady. The Cowboys can mm-hmm. run the ball. They have a dynamic running back duo with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. I think they put the ball in the running back's hands and take the ball out of Dak Prescott's hands because of his turnovers and, and run the ball against that inconsistent Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense and get the job done. Tom Brady has an early exit, and then he starts planning where he's going to play next, Las Vegas. Oh, look at Mo, the Mostradamus. We didn't... I didn't put the crystal ball up. I kind of put the crystal ball. We'll, we'll get the crystal ball out soon. Mo, for, for Raider fans, because I, I get the sense, and I understand it because my life is busy. I have a family. I have kids, a lot of work. Uh, and so I don't always get to watch all the games like you do. And I know Raider fans, by and large, mostly will watch Raider games. Maybe they watch some of the, the national games. But when the, when the folks watch Monday night's game and they watch Tom Brady and that Buccaneers office, offense, what should they look for? What should they watch for um, when you start to think about maybe a Tom Brady-led Raiders team? A Tom Brady-led Raiders-led team is going to be – now, it depends on what, what he has around him. Because a lot of people mm-hmm. are speculating that they – now I know we talked about this. Are they going to trade Darren Waller? Yeah. Now, let's just say they have all their weapons. I think, I think the offense will be efficient. Because even even though the Tampa Buccaneers offense is lopsided without a run game, if you look at Tom Brady in New England with Josh McDaniels, they've they've been a pretty balanced team. I know Tom Brady's the centerpiece of it, but as I've said, more times than not, they've also had a top 10 rushing offense. So if you keep a Josh Jacobs, I think that the balance that we've been talking about a lot on this show that the Raiders need to have is what you're going to see with a Tom Brady-led offense. The other thing is, and someone brought this up on to me on Twitter, I believe it was Faust on I forgot her name, so I apologize. Mm-hmm. But she brought this up to me on Twitter <laughs> that Tom Brady brings the type of leadership that I think the Raiders need. And what I mean by that, and I'm not saying Derek Carr is not a great leader, but I'm saying that Tom Brady is going to get in guys' faces. We talked about this. Tom yes. Brady is going to bark yes. at his offensive lineman. <clears throat> He's going to bark at Devonta Adams if he has to. He's going to bark at Josh McDaniels if he has to. And I think with all the talk that we've had about the Raiders slipping on details and attention to detail and practice habits, I think Tom Brady 
I don't want to say we'll crack the whip, but I think he'll he'll get on guys if they're slacking at practice. And I think the Raiders need that type of leadership right now if they're going to turn over the leadership position at the quarterback spot. Absolutely. And and and, and I hate to do this. And, and since since football's almost over, I'm, I'm starting to even think a little inkling of baseball. And so, you know, I'm a big baseball guy, big San Diego Padre fans. Sorry, Dodger fans out there who are Raider fans. But 1998, the, the, the Padres make the World Series against the Yankees. It's a good example. My favorite, my favorite athlete of all time is Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn is one of the best hitters to ever play the game. But Tony Gwynn was a quiet leader. He was not ever, a vo- like Derek Carr, he was not ever a guy who's going to scream at people and do all that stuff. He's going to hone his craft. He's going to do his thing. On that team, though, they had a guy, Ken Caminiti, who unfortunately died in the Bronx in New York due to a drug overdose. Um, and they also had uh, um, Kevin Brown, a pitcher, right? And those guys were dicks. Like, they, they, they were the type of leader where if somebody was messing around, they not only get in your face, but they might throw a punch at you, right? That's the kind of leadership. So I'm not saying Tom Brady throws punches at people. But to your point, you need both types of leadership styles. They, they actually complement each other. You want to call it good cop, bad cop, whatever you want to do. So on the Raiders, I think they have those leaders. They have leaders like that. And I don't know what goes on in the locker room. You and I don't. I don't know what Devontae Adams is like in the locker room, but he seems more like a quiet spoken, do my job, call on you to do your job type of leader. So, so you add a Tom Brady into that and, and it fits really well. And, and before everybody thinks that we just have a hard on for Tom Brady, that's not it. I'm looking at the team, the makeup of the roster thus far, it's going to change a lot. And you're absolutely right. That's the kind of leader he is. And that's what they would do. So that's what I watch for. Watch for, and they've covered it a lot this year, him yelling at his offensive line and other people on the field uh, out of frustration, of course, but it does show you he knows what he's doing. He's been doing it so long that that he can get guys to where he's got to go. So it would be very interesting to see. And if the Buccaneers lose like we think they will to Dallas, then we'll see it earlier. But uh, be an interesting weekend, man. It's going to be a fun weekend because a lot of these games, half, like you said, half of these games I don't think are going to be close, but the Bucks and, and, and Dallas is going to be interesting. The Jaguars and, and the Chargers are going to be interesting. What's going to happen with the head coach there? I, there's a lot of, there are a lot of back-end storylines that can happen after the results of these games that can impact the Raiders and, yes. and their situation with Derek Carr and head coaches coming into division. So there's a lot to pay attention to if you're a Raider fan. Yes, and, and, and bringing it back to Raiders and AFC West. We could be on, on our show next week, Mo, as early as Tuesday, maybe more like a Thursday. And we could be talking about Jim Harbaugh in Denver and Sean Payton in Los Angeles coaching the Chargers. Can you imagine when we talked about this in the last show? So there's a lot of changes coming in the AFC West, I think. I think, because I do think the Jaguars are going to beat them. So we'll see how that all runs down. But uh, always a fun time, Mo, to talk a little Raider football. We're going to have so much to talk about, so many moves to make. And the dominoes, you know, we have a few weeks left here in the season. The, the Super Bowl is the 11th, right? We got some time, almost about a month to get there. Uh, but the dominoes will start falling faster than people think. Yeah, keep in mind the, de- the Derek Carr deadline before his contract locks in $40.4 million over the next two years is February 15th. So that doesn't mean that the Reds are going to wait till Valentine's Day to deal Derek Carr. It just means that they have up until that day. So... If you remember the Alex Smith trade that happened, it oh, happened yeah. at the end of January when Alex Smith mm-hmm. was traded. So, it, you know, a Derek Carr deal could go down during the conference championship week, the division round. It all depends on when some of these teams get eliminated from the playoffs. Miami and Tampa Bay are two to watch. 
you know, the wheels could start turning. We could start hearing more buzz about where he could end up next year. Yeah, so much, so much to watch, so much to take care, take in and really just talk about. So we're going to do that here on Silver and Black today. Don't forget tomorrow. We did it on Wednesday during the season. Uh, and as the shows, we, we do a little less number of shows, obviously, during the offseason. But we're going to do our mailbag, a quick, nice mailbag show for tomorrow on Friday. So make sure you join us for that. Uh, otherwise, we'll be back next Tuesday as well. So tomorrow and then next Tuesday, where we'll talk about some of these results and, and the impact. And who knows, we might even have some more transactions for the Raiders. At least we'll have the rumor mill spinning and we can talk about that, Mo. It'll be a lot of Raider news. They're going to be at the top of the news cycle, I think, quite a bit this offseason. What I will say is that I expect Patrick Graham to be back. But if Patrick, let's say Patrick Graham gets fired, because I, I mentioned mm -hmm. this on a previous show that when asked about his staff, Josh McDaniels wasn't outright saying everyone's going to be back. And I believe one guy is going to coach the Citadel on the collegiate level. But he wasn't he wasn't confirming that, you know, the staff was going to be the same. Now, I said it on the pre on the last show that with Patrick Graham, you either fire him now Yep. And start to draft guys for your new defensive coordinator, or you stick it out with him for two years, or else you're going to be cycling through defensive coordinators and cycling through players who fit a certain system. I, I will watch out for Patrick Graham. I, I expect him again. I expect him to be back, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a blockbuster. He's fine. Yeah, if it happens, no, I think you're right. It's either going to happen now or it's not going to happen for two more years. So right. we'll see how it goes down. All right, Mo, have a great rest of your night, and we will talk to you tomorrow on the Mailbag Show. Absolutely. Raider fans, enjoy the playoffs. I know you're going to connect everything to Derek Carr and what's going to happen. Tweet at me. Tweet your thoughts. I, I'm open to it because I'll be watching the playoffs sitting back and enjoying the fun. All right. There you go. Mo Moton. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N and read his stuff up on Bleacher Report as well as SportsNot.com. I'm Scott Branson, and for our producer, David Stepanian, and everybody here at Odyssey Sports across the NFL, across all of sports, we thank you for being with us. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you're watching us on YouTube, thanks and hello. Make sure you subscribe and hit the notifications bell. We will talk to you tomorrow on our mailbag show. Take care, Raider Nation. <laughs>